Hey, this is Philip Stutz, author of The Undefeated Marketing System, How to Grow Your Business and Build Your Audience Using the Secret Formula that Elects Presidents. And you are listening to the best marketing podcast in all of Podcastville, The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in or you'd like to learn more about, send me a connection invite on LinkedIn where we can chat and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. But, and this is important, make sure to include a message with your connection invite telling me that you're a marketing book podcast listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer. This episode is sponsored by Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no cost? You can with Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. It's a new, very advanced, and easy-to-use free SEO tool that will scan your site and prioritize precisely what you need to fix to improve your search results. And it's so easy to use... Even a podcast host can use it. Check it out at hrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. I'll tell you more about it in a few minutes. Now, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome back Philip Stutz to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his new book, The Undefeated Marketing System, How to Grow Your Business and Build Your Audience Using the Secret Formula That Elects Presidents, published by Lioncrest. Philip Stutz comes from the cutthroat world of political marketing. He has over two decades of experience working on campaigns with billions of dollars in political ad spend and contributed to over 1,300 election victories, including three U.S. presidential victories. He is the founder and CEO of Win Big Media, a corporate marketing agency, and founder, executive chairman of Go Big Media, a political marketing firm. Philip is also the best-selling author of Fire Them Now, The Seven Lies Digital Marketers Sell, which was featured on the Marketing Book Podcast, episode number 243 in July of 2019. Philip has made more than 350 national media appearances on networks like CBS, ESPN, Fox News, Fox Business, MSNBC, and CNN. And interesting facts, President George H.W. Bush almost threw up on him once. He once prayed with and served communion to President George W. Bush. He accidentally tripped President Gerald Ford and almost killed him. He worked out with President Barack Obama and once took a selfie with President Donald Trump at the White House, only to realize that he had accidentally excluded the legendary Alabama football coach Nick Saban, who was standing right next to him. Philip. Congratulations on the Undefeated Marketing System, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. 
Oh, I'm excited to be here today. We're going to have a lot of fun. You know, typically when you read those stories, Douglas, or people read those stories, I always say, like, what's the it's four truths and a lie? But they're actually all truths. <laughs> That's right. Now, I should state that you are a graduate of the University of Alabama. And when you cropped out Nick Saban from that selfie you were taking mm. with uh, former mm-hmm. President Trump. At the White House. At mm-hmm. the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of wonder what your priorities were there as an Alabama grad. Is that why you had to leave Alabama and you now live in Florida? Yeah, no, no. Uh, I mean, you got to understand, I'm trying to get this picture made, and Trump's like, hey, take the picture, take the picture. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had to take the picture really quick, and I looked over, and Saban is literally a foot from us. And I'm like, oh, man. And then, you know, obviously the Secret Service whisks him off. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'd uh, say it, that was a missed opportunity to get a picture with Nick Saban, but I, yeah. probably more than Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think so. So, uh, Philip Stutz, you and I have uh, a number of things in common. We are both really, really, really ridiculously good looking. And not only that, well, I mean, at least you are, but we were both born. In Alabama, so which means we're probably cousins. Yeah, well, I don't know. I I was born in L.A. and why don't you share with folks what L.A. means? That's Lower Alabama. Yeah, and you were born in uh, the northern part in Birmingham. And the truth is, I was born on federal property. I was born on an army post where my dad was stationed at the time. But uh, I was introduced to you by none other than the. Patron saint of the Marketing Book Podcast, David Merriman Scott, who was the very first guest I interviewed, and I've now interviewed him six times. And it's interesting that you all are friends because you both write about the marketing aspects of politics. And it's funny how before a political uh, presidential campaign, he'll write a number of articles about what political candidates are doing from a marketing standpoint. And he'll even go to the rallies and everything. And he always includes a disclaimer saying, look, this is not a post about politics. (laughs) It's about how politicians are harnessing very often the latest and greatest in marketing uh, techniques and tactics and so forth. Uh, But there's always somebody who comments saying, I don't know why you can't, you know, I don't know why you're talking about that, that horrible candidate. (laughs) I always find that that's so, uh, so amusing. And I just want to also mention that you later introduced me, and I really appreciate that, you introduced me to the legendary marketer Jay Abraham. And I later interviewed him about his book, The Sticking Point Solution. He wrote the foreword to Fire Them Now. So again, I'm really grateful uh, for you having done that. But that's not all, Philip Stutz. Last year, in uh, April 2020, we were all in lockdown And I started a series, a daily series, in addition to the Friday book interviews, called Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. And no, I was never sued by Jerry Seinfeld, who is well known for comedians in cars getting coffee. But the reason I started that was because of none other than Philip Stutz. You contacted me and said, Douglas, We run this research, and we're going to talk about that when we talk about your book, but you all are sitting on top of a uh, nuclear-powered pile (laughs) of data that you look at every day, every week. And you contacted me and said, I've never seen 
consumer sentiments change this quickly? Why don't you have me come on the show and we'll talk about this? And because people are about to make a lot of marketing mistakes, uh, being um, tone deaf about what's going on in the world. And I thought, oh, I only interview authors. And I said, forget it, my podcast. (laughs) I'm going to start a series, and we're going to talk about this research. So after 66, basically, a number of authors came back and said, yes, I'd love to come on and talk about what's going on. And... uh, you know, a number of them said, "Look, I'm not traveling. I'm not doing anything." And a number of them said, "I'm I'm uh, I'm drinking, Douglas. So I'm happy to I'll talk to you again." And I was able to get through 66 episodes, and then my liver needed a break. But I I always think back on you and how you were a uh, a bit of a change maker. And finally, this book has been banned from Facebook, but I just want everybody to know that obviously. You have not been banned from the Marketing Book Podcast. And I saw you interviewed on the news about this banning. Can you tell us what happened there This uh, about this controversial book you have? Yeah. Well, the, the ban has been lifted. Apparently, uh, my uh, screaming like a heretic running down the street with uh, a lighter on my hair uh, actually uh, got some movement. So, um, Look, there's a lot in the news right now about cancel culture and uh, social media banning on people that just post things about politics or um, you know certain issues. That's not what I'm what I was banned for. I was banned from running ads on Facebook, and I think why this is important is because um, in politics uh, we we started facing this ban in our ad campaigns back in 2018, and you know. Everybody loves to say, oh, thank God those political ads are being banned by Facebook. Like, I hate those things. And I'd say, well, if you think that's good, trust me, they're coming for you next. (laughs) And so what happened uh, ultimately is, um, I'll tell my story about what happened to me, but people started coming out of the woodwork when I started telling my story. And we found out that nonprofits were being banned. Uh, from raising money, and we found out that businesses were being banned from running ads, and that's how they employ um, people that work for them. You know that affects um, the way they can support and and provide for their families. And there are so many different sort of second and third order consequences of this. And uh, mine is not the worst story in the world, um, but I figured I had a platform to shed a light on it, and I did. And um, but I think because the ads had something to do with a presidential election, yeah. so I'll jump in. So what happened was, um, I when my I was working through book covers, and uh, I, I emailed uh, about fifty friends, including uh, the great Douglas Burdett, and I <laughs> oh, said, stop it. "What? Which book cover of these three do you like?" And ironically enough, they had an equal number of votes with all my friends on all three. So, and I, you know, about 50, 55, 60 people. Um, so I literally had the exact number. I'm like, well, dang it, that doesn't help me. So I said to my team, my, my marketing team, um, hey, let's go run some A B tests on all these book covers and see which one. And let's target business owners, chief marketing officers, uh, you know, any kind of marketer. Let's just see what that audience thinks is the best cover. What are they clicking through? That, what are they intrigued by? And when we, we we you know got the ad and we we submitted it to Facebook and then they came back and said no you were denied in fact this is banned and we went huh and they said yep so in your subtitle it says 
how to grow your business and build your audience using the secret formula that elects presidents. Well, the fact that you say elects presidents means you're trying to influence an election. By the way, the elections were over with. And because you're trying to influence an election, that falls within our uh, our our ad ban. Or we had a t- they had a temporary ad ban in place uh, around the election. They had not lifted it, even though it was after the election. And we, I said to my team, look, go back and appeal this thing and just tell them that this is a, a business book about how we and, you know, utilize marketing campaigns and politics and how businesses should use it, utilize these practices. And so they said, okay. And eight hours later, Facebook came back and said, you're denied again, no explanation. <laughs> and again, I'm trying to run a test campaign. This is not the worst thing in the world. But the, it, was, it was stark and, and like it, it really... Uh, annoyed me, right? So I said, you know what? I got a platform. I got a uh, a blog that a lot of people subscribe to, and I can get on TV when I want. And I said, I'm I'm going to do this. So I told, wrote a blog. It got picked up. I got asked to write a national article in a, in a publication called The Federalist. Fox News did a whole story on this, um, and it got a lot of steam. And then what I what happened, Douglas, was um, a nonprofit that we do pro bono work for. Uh, reached out to us, and this is um, uh, a nonprofit that during COVID, I mean, th- their mission is to save physically and sexually abused children out of these homes, give them a safe place uh, that they can come and be sheltered, uh, work with the police, and then get them in counseling. And also, it's, it's the most amazing charity I've ever been a part of. And we did some pro, we do some pro bono work for them, but they came to us and said, you know, from October 27th of 2020, uh, we have been banned from raising money in the worst year of our fundraising's history uh, by Facebook. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they go, well, yeah, there's this issues ban that they have in place around the election, and we fall under the issues ban. So we are not able, in the worst year of the pandemic, during the pandemic, to actually raise money to help save children from abused, abused homes or abusive homes. And I went, well, that is insane. And I'm like, and the the ban was still in place. The ban actually, after I made a bunch of noise, Facebook abruptly lifted the ban on on March 4th of 2021. But that, you know, this was going on before then. And then uh, this guy named Justin Donald reached out to me. Justin Donald, in January of 2021, hit number one on the Wall Street Journal bestsellers list for a investment book. And... He came to me and said, you're not going to believe this. Amazon came to me before I published my book, and they said, we will not publish this book unless you take out the, the words coronavirus, COVID, and COVID-19. You're not – and they said he, because he wasn't a doctor and allowed to say those words, the words. <laughs> and he said to Amazon, he appealed and said, listen, the only reason I'm using this word is to tell people how I invested during the pandemic. Amazon denied them, and he had to remove – the words out of his book, COVID, COVID-19, and coronavirus, because it was a, a violation of Amazon's terms to be on their platform. And, and so this is about ad buying on these platforms. And it's not just these crazy political ads that are banning. They're banning nonprofits. They're banning uh, certain words. And they're coming after, you know, I say, if you cancel one and you think that you cancel somebody and you think that's great, they'll eventually come for you. And I love to joke and kid, but this is a really serious issue for me. And um, there are millions of businesses on, out, owners out there and marketers who are dependent on these social media platforms. And trust me, it's coming for you next. 
And it, you know, I'm trying to raise the the flag up and try to get people to notice it. And and we made a little noise. We got we you know I, I hope I contributed to the band being lifted, but this is not the end by any means. They're gonna keep doing this for to all of us. Yes, and I will include on this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com that interview, the first one you did on. Um I think it was Fox News, <laughs> just just so people can can see it. Um, and this also brings to mind a very valuable lesson, which you talk about in your book and others have as well. Be careful building a house on rented land. So in your mm-hmm. book, you talk in one of the many points here. You talk about you know if you're even if you're advertising on an app, the more that you can do to capture that email address of your customers and communicate with them directly. Uh, the more of an insurance policy you have there. Uh, Philip, you mentioned uh, before we started talking, and I read about it in the book as well, uh, this offer you're making to readers. Can you briefly tell us what this data assessment is that you'll do for anyone who uh, reads the book? Yeah, so uh, let me engage the first part, which is, yeah, you need to own your own data. There are so many businesses right now being built strictly on Amazon, and Amazon owns your customers. So if they decide they want to ban you for any reason whatsoever, you're out of business, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a long process, but you've got to figure out ways to get the data away from them so that you can run an e-commerce or a B2C or even a B2B platform on your own uh, on your own website or on your own terms. So, and and the reason you and I are going to jump in to how important your customer data is and or your client data because we do this for B two uh, we we can you know we we look at the data of B two B companies as well. Um, and as we jump into this, you'll understand like we have a the most sophisticated data. Uh, operation. I mean, our partnership with our data company is the largest data analytics and AI company in America. Our database is 200 million plus American consumers, 550 million plus connected devices. We're tracking 10 billion with a B, 10 billion online purchasing decisions every day, and a trillion searches. And um, and so we're able to do very unique work on understanding customers and clients. But there are a lot of people that don't understand how to even start that process. Like, how do I even under, to get a better understanding of my clients so I can speak to them more empathetically uh, in a way that they relate to? And so we created uh, what's called like a customer insights assessment for free. Uh, it's in the back of the book, but we'll give it out here to your listeners. Um, and you just go to philipstutz.com slash insights. And it's this literally 30-second form you fill out. And then my team will do a one-on-one call with you to assess what your data looks like and then give you a bunch of options on how you should be thinking about it and things you can do as well. And it only costs a uh, million dollars, right? It, two. Two and a half million <laughs> uh, with an option for another. Yes, it's free. Yeah. Oh, it's um, absolutely free. Absolutely free. That's very generous of you to do. And, uh, and as we talk about this in the interview, I think it's going to – People understand where I'm coming from when I talk about how important your customer or client uh, understanding and how to look at data and how to understand them better, because you're going to convert a lot more sales if you do. Yes, and I do presentations from time to time where someone will say, what What have you learned from 300 books or whatever? And I, I have this talk where I discuss you know, like the five most important ideas, the five ideas that matter most. And what you just said is one of them. The companies that understand their customers better win, period. 
<laughs> full stop. And yeah, we're going yeah. uh, uh, to talk about that. Um, now, I have a printed galley here because this, uh, you know, I was, I was uh, contacted you beforehand, so this printed out here it's in this binder and I'm I'm looking at it but I do hope that I one day get an autograph copy of it and I'm only mentioning that during the interview just to put some additional pressure on you. Oh, it'll happen. <laughs> okay. So I want to read um just a couple of quick excerpts from the beginning here. You write uh, here's how it works in politics. First the first thing I do when I sit down with a political candidate is ask what do you believe in and why do you want to run for office? Typically, that candidate will give me around 10 policy ideas. Uh, I'm pro-environment. I want to cut taxes. I want to subsidize health care. I'm pro-gun rights. I'm pro-choice. I want better education. I want less government regulation. I want to serve. I want to help the homeless. I want higher teacher pay. My job is to take those 10 issues, run polls in their district or state, and overlay voter and customer data to build a deep understanding of what will move voters to such a degree that they'll vote for my candidate. This helps us figure out exactly what voters value. For example, are they more concerned about taxes or the environment? How important are gun rights? Our goal is to find the alignment between what the candidate believes and what will actually get voters to the polls. We always find that of the 10 issues the candidate is really passionate about, voters have an especially high level of passion for two or three. So I tell the candidate, these are the two issues we're going to talk about. Those two high-value issues will make or break the election. The other eight issues, we're not going to talk about them unless we're explicitly asked. And then another part that I think is really important to mention from the beginning of the book is you write, I'm not here to talk politics, left versus right policy issues, or the divisive and corrosive nature of our current political system. I'll leave that for the cable networks. I've worked for a wide range of political clients from a liberal Black Panther civil rights leader to a conservative Republican president. My personal politics has nothing to do with this book. And Philip Stutz, having read the book, that is 100% true. I don't even know (laughs) what your politics are, and it doesn't matter. (laughs) Everything here is what I like to talk about, how... Advancements in medicine, unfortunately, often come from wars, you know, uh, all kinds of technological things that have been suddenly uh, accelerated, but particularly medicine. And in a, in, a, in a similar analogy, I always pay attention to what the political marketers are doing because that always seems to be on the cutting edge of the latest uh, technology, and they usually have good budgets, and you can really see – uh, if if something is is working well, which is why I so agreed <laughs> with everything in Fire Them Now about how modern marketing is much more uh, aligned with uh, what works and what doesn't work from uh, political marketing. Are you sick of your competitors outranking you in search results? Wish there was an easier way to get more Google traffic? What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings, and then get clear and simple advice on what to do to fix it so you can increase your website visibility on Google for free? 
With the new Ahrefs Webmaster Tools, you can do it. They'll help you quickly improve your site's Google visibility by showing you over 100 technical issues that might be holding back your site's search performance, as well as how to simply fix them. Plus, the tool shows the sites that link to you so you'll know your most linked pages and the keywords your pages are ranking for in order to tweak your content and increase your monthly organic search traffic. This used to be something reserved for professional SEOs who had special knowledge and access to expensive tools, but now you can do this in minutes with Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free. And this isn't one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a super powerful tool that'll do a full website audit for you and keep working for you for free. You know, when you realize just how valuable this free tool is and how much it can help grow your business, you might want to think about showing your appreciation by sending the host of the Marketing Book Podcast a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon. Something to think about. Just putting it out there. I'm kidding. Not really. But seriously, we've been using Ahrefs at my firm for years, and I'm delighted to have them back as a sponsor. Check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. I'll also include the link in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com and include a video that shows you how it works. So can you say a bit more about how political marketing, as you write, it's not really that different from business marketing now. So, the yeah, and, and I will answer that. I would tell you, if you're going to, if you end up reading the book, um, this is a historical, probably the first modern history read on how modern day politics is being run and how modern day politics, I'm talking the last 21 years, how that has literally flipped the script on innovation in marketing, that political marketers are far more innovative, in my opinion, than corporate marketers. And the reason being is that we uh, there's a historical documentation of how it went from President Bush to how Obama utilized it, to how Trump utilized it, to how Biden utilized it to win. And because we have inevitably, we have... Uh, uh, the unavoidable election day, we have winners and losers, you know, often every year, every two years. And because of that, it forces everybody to use, uh, to innovate constantly. And when you have one candidate that's utilizing this undefeated marketing system that I explained in the book, and you have another candidate that, that you're trying to beat, that's also using the exact same system and formula then it is a it's like sports and sports by the way sports teams use the exact same formula that I lay out in the book to win championships and the one place that I don't find this very uh, at all I see I see parts of it I don't see the whole the the exact chronological order of the process is in in business marketing and so I went oh my goodness you know like if if I can work with clients and utilize the system, then no one is competing with me, and that that you know really was the impetus for 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 why I wrote the book. And so um, you know, here's what I've learned, and then I'm going to tell you how I massively failed in understanding things to begin with uh, when I started. Um, 
I, I the, the the principles between this undefeated marketing system and politics and business are exactly the same. The execution is completely different. And that's what I didn't understand. And um, many years ago when I started it, we one of our first clients, Douglas, was a uh, eight-figure, almost nine-figure supplement company. And the guy was like, I'm so fascinated by politics. I want you guys to come in and utilize all your marketing tools to um, to help my business grow. Oh, and so that's kind of how you made this switch to the dark side of yeah. <laughs> from politics well, I, to corporate? I, had, I, I got asked by a lot of people how they could apply it in their business. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of friends. and uh, But this person wasn't a friend. This person had cold reached out to me. And it was, at the time, the biggest client, you know, one of the biggest clients we'd ever worked with. And I was like, oh, my God, this is it. Like, we're going to blow up, right? And um, the first thing we did was we, we started use. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't utilizing the system in any kind of sequential order. And I was just randomly doing it. In fact, the, the system is, is inherent in everybody that works in political marketing. Everybody knows the system. Everybody utilizes it. They just don't talk about it. They don't lay it out. So, like, the reason I laid it out was because of this horrible story I'm about to tell you, because I had to figure out the formula. And so we had been growing a few smaller businesses and some bigger businesses, but this was definitely the biggest one we'd ever gotten. And so he said, all right, uh, my team's like, hey, you know, we would love to run uh, an Instagram ad campaign for you. And he's like, sure. And so my designers come up with the, and my, my account team comes up and they say, all right, here it is. We're going to put the bottle of your biggest supplement, the most, the best selling supplement, and we're going to take a picture of it and then we're going to run this. Instagram campaign. And so we, we put this whole plan together for him and we sat, went, went down to where his office was, uh, which was not where I am. It's a national company. And we sat down and we laid this thing out and he looked at me in the meeting and he goes, you don't get me. And I went, what? And he said, you don't understand what you're doing. I said, no, we're, we know what we're doing. We're growing businesses. And he said, no, no, you're not. He goes, uh, if you run an Instagram ad or an Instagram post and you put a bottle of my best-selling supplement on it without another human being in there, just the supplement, it will tank because people only like and click through and buy on, on, you know, for my e-commerce site on Instagram when there's a human being on the picture. And he said, not only that, it would screw up my organic logarithm that I've worked 10 years to build. And... You would you would totally mess up everything. You don't get what you're doing here. And I'm like, uh, uh. And he goes, yeah, okay. The meeting's over. Uh, just call me tomorrow. We'll figure something out. I said, okay. He never talked to me again. He ghosted me. <laughs> that was it. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty distraught because I thought this is a massive client that we can really help. And so I went back and I literally just started writing in a notebook. What is it that we do in politics? And how do we do it? What is it we do? How do we do it? And how can we implement this better in business with business marketing? And that really is the where I really wrote down first time, these are the steps that we always take to win presidential campaigns, Senate campaigns, governor campaign, governor races, all that. And I'm like, oh, with this particular guy, we didn't we weren't working in the sequential order. We were working on his brand before we even knew what the customer wanted. Right. Step three. Right. And so I went, oh, my gosh, I totally misjudged all these things. So 
I went back to my team and I said, everything we're doing, we're scrapping. We're going to run it this way, uh, in this formulaic way going forward. We're not uh, budging. And I, this is going to work. And at this point, I mean, we've worked with uh, you know, almost 100 different companies. And the ones that have followed it have all grown, every single one of it. Now, we've had a lot of clients come in. I call them in the book, you probably remember this, the committed versus the interested. There are a lot of business owners that are very interested in what I'm talking about right now mm-hmm. until the shiny object chases by and they are interested in something else. If that's the case, this will not work for you. Uh, but it is a marketing system for the committed. You know, I always say the, the industries when I talk about committed, the automobile industry, the pest control industry, we work, we do a ton of work with. Um, these guys know that if they're not running marketing dollars every single month, they're out of business. And so they come to us and they're like, we're going to run this because we have no choice. They are committed, like a politician. They have to run the campaign. There is no choice. There's election day. And so ultimately... Uh, that's the difference, go back to your question, between sort of how we did it in politics and then how I found how it would work in business. And at this point, um, you know, I, I, one day I screamed in my office after we had some success for a client. I'm like, this damn thing is undefeated. And I'm like, oh, there's the name. And that's yes. how we got to it. Yeah. So how is the undefeated marketing system then like a course of antibiotics? So, the you know I, I know you're pulling that out of the book. So, and I appreciate you. It's um, what I do. I interview authors about their books, and yeah, I, I'm, I, I didn't realize that. Um, but I uh, look. The bottom line is like you know you can't take an antibiotic if you if you get COVID and they put you on antibiotic. You don't stop it halfway through. Once you feel better after a few days. Right. The doctor's like, you have to run the course of the antibiotic all the way through or the bug can come back. Um, And it's the same thing I'll tell you here. Not everybody that works with me has to go, okay, step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. Sometimes we find they have incredible understanding of their consumer or their customer, or sometimes they've already built their brand out. We just need to tweak their brand. But you still Um, check for that first. We have to check for everything, right? And really, everything starts back with the customer. And here's why it's so important. Jonah Berger of the book Contagious, who is a professor at the Wharton School of Business, mm-hmm. he wrote that we are seeing up to 10,000 ads per day online and offline. 10,000. If you're out there listening to this podcast right now and you think you're, and you're a, you own a bike comp, bicycle company and you think you're just competing with bi- other bicycle companies, you're crazy. You're competing with tire companies, shoe companies, food companies, e-commerce companies. You're competing with everybody. You're competing with cat videos that your friends post. Exactly. And my point is, is when you're seeing up to 10,000 ads a day, what's, what's going to make a, the difference that breaks through all the clutter? And so we said, you know, this is how we do it in politics. And you walk through that process in your opening. Mm-hmm. We must, like in politics, we must understand the voter. So we can find alignment with the politician on the issues that they care about. It's the same thing. Now, we do it different ways in execution, but it's the same thing. In a a land of 10,000 ads, I'm trying to break through the clutter by having a deeper understanding and speaking to the consumer or the client in a way that resonates with them, not just what you want to talk about. And so the database I told you that we do um, what we're able to do on that, just this is how we do it, and then we can kind of walk how other people can do it without um, utilizing the kind of so data we have. So not everybody has to hire 
Philip Stutz's company. No, and that's why we had this data assessment here, and that's <laughs> right. why in the book we lay out other ideas you could utilize, and we can go through that. But the way we because I would just, think that there are graduates of the other Southeastern Conference schools that just wouldn't be able to hire you. Well, no, I'm good with anybody other than Auburn. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. If you're from Auburn, don't, okay. Don't, gloves don't are off. Yeah, there. but yeah. you know, Auburn people, you knew that it was coming to this. So. Uh, you know, I'm kidding, but yes. So the way that we look at it is like that massive database I told you about earlier. Well, we're able to take a customer base, overlay it, get and fi- identify their I- IP address, and track their movements online, their purchasing behaviors online, their searches online. We can. Uh, build a lookalike audience doing the same thing and build out a model. Or we can put a pixel on a website and then you can track and figure out why people are coming to your website. You can find out what these people, what these, when you're tracking them, I can find out what their values are in life. I can find their top values, the top three values. I can tell you the, in a chronological order what social media they are engaged in, what platforms they're engaged in. I can tell you the books they read specifically the magazines they read, the newspapers they read, the TV shows they watch, whether they're on connected TV, whether they're doing more mobile than laptop or mobile mobile to desktop, I can tell you everything. And why that is so important to get that right in the first step is you've got to know how you're going to build a plan, which is step two. You got to know what the message needs to be, how you need to target them, and you need to build a strategic plan out. So let me give you an example. Uh, I have a lot of examples. I'll give you one in particular, which is we worked for this uh, Instagram influencer woman who uh, built half a million followers on Instagram. And she also built out an e-commerce platform selling hair care products. So this is what I love about the world today, which is it's so you can have a, a, a business owner that has half a million followers on Instagram that sells hair care products. And then she developed sort of a mastermind around it where she goes on stage and people come and they work on these hair care, uh, they work on uh, wigs and all this. It's crazy, right? Who, who, who would ever thought 30 years ago we would have an industry like this? But she comes to me and, she, and she's not like some Instagram model or anything like that. She's like a business owner. And she says, um, I built a million dollar business on Instagram and I want to go over to Facebook now, and I want to run ads. I want to build my, my platform on Facebook. And I said, well, why do you want to go to Facebook? And she said, because it's owned by Instagram, and that feels like the next logical place to go. The targeting's great and all that stuff. And we said, awesome. Why don't we overlay your customers online, track what they're doing, and figure out if that's where they're going and interacting? We found out that after a month of tracking her customers, we found out that Facebook was the number four performing platform for her customers. Number four. Mm -hmm. So she was about to spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, building out a platform that ranked number four amongst her targeted audience. And what we found was Instagram was number two. It wasn't even number one. So she had built a million-dollar business on the number two platform. The number one was Pinterest. Interesting. Because her marketplace was 99% female. Mm -hmm. She had never thought that that's where she should invest her dollars. And that's the whole point. We also found out in that we call them a customer insights report, but in that customer insights report, that uh, her her customer base was, I think it was something like 86% were uh, attended religious services on a weekly basis, read the Bible, um, a bunch of different um, faith-based attributes. She was very grounded in her belief in Christ, except she had never talked about it 
in our marketing, on stage, or in our social media. Hmm. And so we were able to say, you're going to make a deeper connection. These people are going to say, you're actually going to have a, a bigger platform if you're just more vulnerable in the way that you talk about your faith, because mm-hmm. they want to hear that from you, and it's important for them. So, I mean, this is all the things I'm talking about. You don't do these things after you've run $100,000 worth of ads. <laughs> Did you everybody do- hear that? <laughs> you don't do this. Yeah, this is what you do in the beginning. And let's, let me step back, though. I mean, so there's five steps. Let's go through them. Um, and step one is, as the listener has heard, is take a deep dive into your target market customer data. Now, let me just digress for a moment here, Philip Stutz. I don't have any tattoos, but I noticed a couple years ago, before I got an MRI, they called me up about a week before and said, do you have any body piercings or tattoos? And I said, well, not yet, but let's see what happens this weekend. So I never ended up getting them, but I think that there are a number of Things in your book, quotes that could be turned into tattoos, okay? So I'm just, I'm thinking about it, okay? I'm in the consideration phase. I haven't done it yet, but one of many that are in the book is every successful marketing campaign is built on a firm understanding of who your customer is, what motivates them, and what they value. And here's another one. The more information you have on your customer, the more insights you have into what they like and value. And here's another one. Most businesses, influencers, and everyone else in the marketing game is screaming, me, me, me. They're not thinking about others. They're thinking about how people can like them. They're thinking about how popular they are or how popular they want to be. They've got it all backwards. Stop thinking about yourself. (laughs) Stop talking about yourself. Look at what the customers want and deliver it to them. The most successful marketing is empathetic. It puts the client or customer first. So I got to go back here, though. If you want to know everything possible about your customer, how do you go about getting that information? Just some of the basics. I mean, aside from hiring your firm, what are some things that companies can be doing to find out more about their customers. There's so many free ways to do this. I mean, yeah, not everybody's going to want to go to the sophistication that we do, but I'm obsessed with it, right? Yeah, um, in fact, I should interject that before we got started interviewing, I was so impressed. This is an audio-only podcast. I can't see Philip, but he commented on exactly what I was wearing and uh, the things he knew about me. I, you know, I'm not easily embarrassed, but uh, anyway, I was, I, it was very impressive. You call Please, me Carmack. Yes. Uh, for, for the old people out there, they'll know mm-hmm. what that is. Okay. So um, the way that we've helped other uh, marketers, business owners that, that don't you know, want to follow the, the most sophisticated path, right, is like simply sending out a SurveyMonkey research or uh, a, a SurveyMonkey survey, right? Um, and asking your customers very specific questions, not like, what do you like about our product? Or uh, do you like our product? Like, no. Like, uh, <laughs> and I think if it's under 10 questions, it's free. Right. Or something this, like that. It doesn't cost you anything. But yeah. like, I would try to, you know, like in, in politics when we do this, back in the old days before we had the sophistication we had now, we would go to people and say, are you pro-life or pro-choice? 
ooh, can't get out of that one. No gray area in that question, right? Are you pro-gun or, or, or for gun rights or, or gun control? Can't That's black and white. You can't get out of that question. It's one or the other, right? Um, and that's how I would look at it as a business owner in the same way that if you're looking at understanding your clients, this really does work for B2B as well. Do you, you know, does your, you know, ask something that there's no wiggle room. Now you could say, well, we sent out a survey monkey to our 10,000 customers. And, and they got, all said they're satisfied. We got 10, <laughs> yeah, we got 10 responses back. Okay, good. So you didn't do it exactly right. Um, try again or, you know, have a sales rep call each one of your customers or, a, a you know, a sample of those customers, call a thousand customers and do a one-on-one conversation with them or have a personal email that's sent that's not to the receiver survey monkey that, that gives people a discount if they just answer a couple questions. Um, there are a lot of ways to skin the cat in, in that regard of, of sort of the organic way of doing it. You just have to be creative. Now, there are a lot of other um, uh, data companies out there that do what we do go shop around and see if they're effective or affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the big ways that you, you can take that first step. The bottom What are some that, things companies can do using information they already have about their customers? Give me an example of what you're talking about. Like they have information about how often someone's buying or what they're mm-hmm. buying or maybe mm-hmm. what's most profitable for the company. Yeah, I mean, well, that's easy. Like, this is one of the things we do. <laughs> it's easy, but a lot of companies don't do that. Yeah, no, I know, I know. We and they we don't work, sell to their current customers. We went, we went. Uh, there was an apparel company. I talk about them in the book a good bit. But they, we came to them. They, they were a B two B apparel company. They, they wanted to go to the e com world um, and go B two C, right? And so we said, well, what's? They said we've sold a little bit online. We just haven't really advertised for it. And I said, well, what's the lifetime value of your customer? And they went, I don't know. Oh, that is such a great question, and, and that's I'm a like, very important part of your book, yeah. Well, the whole point is, if I like, it's not all about new sales. If you can, <laughs> yes. like, at, that so many business owners get this wrong. If you, you know, Keith Cunningham is a mentor of mine, the greatest business mentor ever, uh, business coach out there. He's like, um, if you kept all the clients you ever had, how rich would you be? Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that we take very serious where I, at all my companies, because we want to take care of our clients as much as possible. And we, we got to perform for them or we're going to be out the door. So my point is, is like, so with this apparel company, I think we took, we, we focused in on the lowest hanging fruit, the current customers themselves, mm-hmm. because they've already bought from you. And so the question is, what do they buy the most of, like you asked? And then we're like, good, let's go run marketing ads at them or email them for free, doesn't cost anything, and give them a 5% discount on that particular item that we know that they buy. Here's what happens. That 5% discount is negligible, right? But we were able to increase the lifetime value of their, of their customer from, I believe, $90, $92 to $190 in about three months. Mm. And if you're talking about you have 10,000 customers and you can do that, that's a lot of money. And <laughs> Faster does, money, too. And by the way, that cost you the, the, all it cost you was the discount code. That's it, right? Yeah. And if you say, fill out this survey and ask this question, you know, tell us what it, you love best about our product. Is it the softness or is it the price? Just give them real clear, definitive questions that they can't wiggle out of. Because here's what, you know why? I've never talked about this, Doug. 
uh, does, but here, here's why. Because in politics, when we go ask open-ended questions to voters, the answer always comes back. The number one policy issue that, that voters care about is education. It doesn't mean anything. Well, who isn't for education? Like, I, I always laugh so hard. Like, everybody's for good education. But people just settle on what's easiest. And we have to get really granular, and we have to give them stark choices in order to get the, the honest answer. Yeah. Before we move on to this uh, second one, I've, I'm sorry, but there's a few more tattoos that I'm thinking about, and I'm going to read them. One of them where you write, I've worked with so many business owners who think they know what their customers want when really they're just guessing. When it comes to your clients or customers, are you making assumptions or are you tuned in to their wants, desires, and needs? But wait, there's more. On another page, you write, when you don't know what your customers want or desire, when you haven't learned to empathize with them on a deep level, you're playing with fire. And finally, you write, this may sound obvious, but you'd be surprised at how often marketers employ a one-size-fits-all marketing strategy for their clients. They get so caught up in creating content, branding, and selling your business that they forget that marketing isn't really about your business at all. Marketing is about tapping into what makes your customers tick. So let's go on to the second one, which is build your data back strategy, build your data back strategic marketing plan. I want to quote again. You write, marketing seems to change quicker than you can finish this sentence. The speed of that change makes it easy to get lost in a sea of tactics. One day, Instagram is the go-to platform, and the next day, the news is filled with mentions of TikTok. I've had so many questions from business owners like, what's better, digital ads or print media, Facebook or Instagram, banner ads or video? Philip Stutz, why do you argue that those are the wrong questions to ask? Because it's not about what you want to do or what's hot. It's about what your customers are engaging in. And I will tell you that uh, one of the reasons I wrote the first book, Fire Them Now, was because I interviewed 100 CEOs and they all told me the same thing. They'd already fired two or three marketing agencies before they had gotten to me. And I said, why? Well, they made us run. They told us to run uh, $100,000, $50,000 worth of Facebook ads. We didn't see anything. And I'm like, why would you? Why? It's the same thing I just told you on the influencer, that the story I just said the hair care product. I said, well, why are you running ads on Facebook? Because it's Facebook. And I'd be like, but what if the customer isn't there? And what we're actually finding is that most customers are on Facebook, but the question is not whether they're on Facebook or off Facebook. It's, are they purchasing products on Facebook? Are they engaging on Facebook? And we're able, you know, through our data systems, we can tell you that. But the, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, okay, so 80% of your market's on Facebook, but we found out that only 5% is, are buying products and services on Facebook or commenting and liking things. What they're doing is they're using Facebook to consume, which means that when I build out that strategy plan, which is step two, I'm going to say Facebook needs to be a branding mechanism, not a conversion mechanism. But I wouldn't know that unless I understood what the customer thinks first. And, you know, uh, I can give you 
lots of stories. I don't know how far you want me to go into the weeds on this, but that's what I'm trying to determine, right? More than anything else. And I think it's uber important in a day that we're, you know, we're seeing uh, 10,000 ads, up to 10,000 ads a day. And the other is, I think CompuWare put out this stat, uh, uh, stat. You read it in the book, Douglas, but, you know, 88% of all consumers, if they have one bad experience on your website, will never come back again. And it makes sense because I've clicked on ads before, uh, intrigued by a product someone was selling, you know, like the Thigh Master or something. And um, the website was clunky. It was not mobile friendly. It didn't look safe to put my uh, financial information in it. And I just swiped out and I never went back. And that's what we're faced with in this land of 10,000 ads and everything's changing every five seconds. And unless you're building trust with your, you know, with your brand, and with your ads, you're going to fail. And everybody knows that that's listening because they've seen that failure. And my point is, instead of running out and playing whack-a-mole with all these tactics that people, you know, say, like I had a client recently come to me and say, let's run a bunch of ads on TikTok. And I go, no. <laughs> and he went, what? No, I'm the owner. I tell you what to do. And yeah, went, were they like an industrial boiler company or something? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Uh, no, they were an e-commerce company. And I go, we've run the data. No one's on TikTok on your customer list. No one. Your you're you're, you're uh, target market, according to not only your customers, but their website visitors, is women uh, and married men over 35. They're not on, like, when then we adjust, and then we looked at TikTok, and it was something like 3% of their customer market was on TikTok. Three. And I'm like, why would you spend money on something like this? Like, I was like, I just refused, you know? And finally, they got back down, but <clears throat> I, I don't understand it. And so my point is, before we're going to run all these ads, I got to know what the data says, and then I got to build a strategic plan. The strategic plan is based on this. Where do you find – it's not ignoring the business owner either, Douglas. I'm proud of what I've built in my companies. I'd love to tell people all about my business, right? But if, if the clients that we serve don't care about that, well, then maybe I need to talk, change the way I talk about that work. My yeah, point you, is where do you find alignment between what the business owner wants to discuss or talk about or, or market and what the customer wants? And you have to build a plan around that both in targeting and message. Yes, and it reminds me of hunting, of all things. <laughs> you don't sit on your porch and shout for the animals to to come to you. You actually have to go study them and figure out what they're doing and where they are. And that's why this one of my favorite expressions I learned from Jim Stern, uh, author of AI for Marketing, is this expression, uh, management by in-flight magazine. And that's where the boss comes in and says... Okay, you marketing people, TikTok. Let's put it all in TikTok. What's oh, going on there? Yes, yes. And that's where it's so helpful for somebody like you or me or a marketer or, or a salesperson to say, uh, boss, that's interesting. That's really a, a burgeoning new platform. But uh, let's go back to our customers, <laughs> which is why the more that marketers can become the experts on the customers at a company, I think the more sway and gravitas, to use a political term, they have, because you're able to go back and say, okay, well, here's what we know about our customers, and this is the behavior they have, and this is what they tend to do. So the more that you understand your customer, the more successful you're going to be, but also the better response you can give to the boss when they come in and, and, and make a, a question like that. But again, it all goes back to 
deeply understanding your customer or at least understanding them a little bit more <laughs> than your competition. Let's go to step three, which is what we tend to want to jump to, kind of like with the bottle of supplements that you were talking about earlier with the one of your earlier clients. Mm-hmm. Then do we create your data-backed, important, data-backed, messaging and creative brand. Philip Stutz, explain what you mean when you say your brand is like a pizza. Oh, yeah. And I think you're you you may have you either sent this to me or you posted on social media one of <laughs> Douglas's jokes. Yes, I, I post uh, as I'm reading books to keep myself further amused. I will make jokes to myself. This is for the listeners' benefit. Obviously, Philip knows this, and I wrote jo- I write jokes in the in the columns, and one of them had to do with this, and it'll be posted soon on uh, on LinkedIn on a Saturday or Sunday. But um, you know, I think uh, this podcast is really just a, a vehicle for me to, you know, pursue my stand-up comedy career, which has been <clears throat> somewhat thwarted. But go ahead, explain what you mean when you say your brand is like a pizza. You mentioned this in a header, and you later explained it a few pages later. You had me at pizza, but I loved this, and I'm stealing it. Okay. Well, I mean, my point is that if you... Uh, if the if you order a pizza from Domino's and they deliver the pizza and you're you know you're so hungry you're ready to eat that pizza the business owner the customer's ready to buy right um, <clears throat> and that pizza gets delivered and you open up that piping hot gooey cheesy great smelling pizza and all of a sudden you got one piece that's missing <laughs> yeah. You're going to be like, well, hold on. I'm not eating this thing. There's a slice missing. The delivery guy ate the slice. Yeah. So my point is, is Which like. is how I tip the delivery guys, but I'm the only right. one that does that probably. Yeah. I, I, could, I give them a piece I, yeah. of the pizza. Go ahead, please. But what our point is, is that so many times a marketing agency says, let's, let's build your brand first before they even know what the customer wants. And again, let me go back to that stat. If 88% of all consumers, well, if they have one bad experience on your website, they'll never come back again. And and here's how we get it in politics. Um, before I send a voter and spend a lot of ad dollars on a, to, to convince a voter to vote for a politician, um, I'm going to get the brand right. You know, those two issues we talked about at the beginning of this, of this interview, where the brand is going to be about those two issues for that politician. The brand is all over that website. The videos are going to talk about those two issues. The website's going to talk about those two issues. Everything's going to be about those two issues. Because when you run an ad campaign, which is step five, the voter is going to come back to that website and check out who the heck you are. And if you're talking about the wrong issues that don't connect with them or that they don't care about, they're going to look at your brand and swipe away and never come back. Yes, and in the book you talked about, uh, I can't remember what line of work they were in, but you again, we all learn by doing things wrong, especially me. You guys jumped ahead to the brand and you know the messaging, yeah. and it was a really effective uh, campaign. But then it got to their website and it was a yeah. disaster. And they had been promising you, yeah, we're going to fix that, we're going to fix that, and it was just a total disconnect. It was a piece of pizza missing. Was that a, one of those pest control clients or something? Well, all right. So the story on this is that we have done a lot in the pest control industry. We um, and uh, which I these, find amusing that you work in politics and pest control. Mm, interesting bugs. Yeah, so, let's go ahead and make up your uh, own joke there. 
Right. So, uh, yeah, the, these guys, I know them because they broke off from a national pest control chain. I really like them. Super nice guys. And they came to us and they're like, we want to hire you now that we've broken off and, and we want to build our own pest control company. And they didn't have a ton of money, but I like them a lot. Tried to help them. We did the data. We built a strategic plan. But when we went to look at their website, it was the two guys and they were big boys and they were in T-shirts, and they were leaning up against a car. And this is the picture on the website, basically saying, hire us. Mm-hmm. And they look scary. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking to myself... Before, they may have been pizza eaters as well. Uh, they probably love pizza. And um, they love steak, and they like <laughs> fast food, and they like everything. Hell yeah! And we went to them and went, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I know you said you'll handle your brand, but this brand is out of whack. In fact, the mobile version of the website, the letters went off of the corners of the mobile version. So, like, they got cut off. I mean, it looked horrible. And we ended up saying, all right, well, we're going to run the test campaign, which is step four. We ran this test campaign. We got massive uh, amount of people on a very low cost to go to the click through the ad, go to the website. Obviously, our data worked, our messaging worked. Uh, we had the plan in place, and we sent people to this website. And I can't, I can't remember because I don't have the book in front of me, but it was something like 208 uh, uh, leads that came in the door, and they converted three of them. Why? Because when they went to the brand, when they went to the website, it was people that they didn't trust, and they didn't trust th- this particular uh, company, right? All right. It was 237 leads, man. Damn. And they got eight conversions. There you go. And let That's me help exactly out here because I do have the uh, the galley here. You're, you're right. And you're so, right. You know, when when I scrolled is- down on the homepage, I got an image, all right. There was a sloppy picture of the two owners wearing random T-shirts, casually leaning on a car. It looked more like a profile pic on a dating site than the lead promotional image for a trustworthy pest control company. Actually, to be honest... I don't even think it would have worked for a dating site. No one in their right mind would have wanted to swipe right. I love these guys, but seriously, it was that bad. It was bad. And then they, you know, they were like, I can't understand why it didn't work. You know, why, why didn't we, we got all these leads. Um, but my point is you have to get the brand right before you spend your dollar ad dollars because you have to connect with your customer. And, if your website, no, here's a great example. There, there's a national pest control we work with, and I tell this story in the book. But the bottom line is that they had built their uh, their company massively on the backs of the Great Recession by marketing uh, around the word discounts. And then they came to us uh, about four years ago, and they said, "Man, the discount campaign didn't work anymore. We've, we've yeah, spent they were one- losing a lot of revenue altitude. Yes." They'd spent $1.8 million on ads and had lost $2 million in market share. And we said, why, what are you, why are you running this campaign? And they said, we're running on discounts. So we said, oh, okay, why? And they said, well, everybody likes discounts. And we said, okay, well, they're apparently not liking it anymore, so let's go figure <laughs> out why. And so we, we ran our data assessment, our customer insights report on them. And what we found was on the, uh, after the Great Recession, customers did want insight uh, or discounts. And they guessed a marketing approach or message. They guessed it, and they guessed right until they guessed the, the, until they didn't guess right. Right, but mm-hmm. the economy had improved. People had more discretionary income, 
And when they saw the word discount, it looked cheap. Also, their target market was people over 55 who had kids out of the household. So we found out that these people contributed money to local charities because their kids were out of the house. They weren't spending as much money on their children anymore. This company gave a lot of local charity dollars, um, a lot of charity, a lot of money to charities, local charities. We also found out that because they were older, had discretionary income, they wanted safer green products and they were willing to pay more. Discounts didn't appeal to them that way. We, we just found across the board, we found out that these people also um, were bundling services, cable, TV, um, uh, you know, phone, all that stuff. And we went, ooh, that's a smart way for an educated audience to get a discount is to tell them they could bundle you know, certain services. You could bundle pest control and, or, or pest and termite together or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we put a strategy in place. We completely re-did, rebranded their entire website. We shot videos uh, about the charity. We shot videos about safe products. We did all these, you know, the ads that they were going to run. And then, uh, so we got the brand right. And then we tested all these ads, figured out what works. That's our step four. And then we launched the campaign. And in the fifth month of working with us, they had the greatest month in the 35 history year, 35 year history of their company. It's not. I'm not saying I did this. I just tapped into what the customer wanted. And yeah. I'm so shocked that no one really wants to really dive deep into what the customer wants, right? And so, like, that's how important that brand is. Because when we sent people to this website, it spoke to them. And one last thing on this: when we work for a, a pest control company, there is not one customer in the world that goes. You know what? I need a, uh, I need a pest control company with green products and gives to charity. No, they Google pest control company because they got bugs they want dead. Like that's the whole reason you hire a pest control company. It has nothing to do with all the things I just told you. The reason it, what I tell you is important, is because they're going to Google pest control company in Atlanta, and three pest control companies are going to pop up, or a hundred will, but they're only the customer will only look at three. And when they look at three, they're going to look, that's where they're going to judge you. What's the difference that makes the difference? Mm-hmm. Do you speak to them in their language? Or is it a, two guys leaning up against a car and a t-shirt? Or is it uh, a company with uniforms that has green products that gives money to charity uh, that I can bundle services and it makes the customer look smart and that makes me want to buy from them? That's what I'm tapping into and that's what I'm looking for. Yes, and I just again I keep going back to this pizza idea, which I'm going to be using. But it's it can be used on so many levels. In other words, I can think of a marketer who's really frustrated that you know they're able to control what they can, but then let's say there's a real gaping hole in the customer experience or some other thing like you know, whatever. And I just want to quote from this because this is so helpful. And the way that you can get people's attention, I think, as a marketer or as a salesperson, is to ask internally, you know, uh, use the Socratic method, ask mm-hmm. questions. But you write, mm-hmm. back to the uh, guys that ran the uh, pest control company, these clients didn't understand one crucial thing. Your brand is like a pizza. One slice may be the data-backed messaging in a video ad. Another slice may be how your brand looks on the website. Another slice is telling your authentic story. Every element of your company's brand makes up another slice until eventually – 
you have a whole pie. Your brand has to take every slice into account. Otherwise, customers aren't going to eat your pizza. They'll order from an entirely different pizza joint. And who can blame them? Stop for a minute and imagine you've ordered pizza. The delivery man shows up, hands you the piping hot box, and you can smell that delicious pizza smell coming from inside. You lift the lid to peek, and the side closest to you looks incredible. It's gooey and cheesy with steam rising from the top. You carry the pizza inside, set it on the dining room table, and throw back the lid only to notice that one slice is missing. I guarantee you won't eat that pizza. You'd better call the business, Better Business Bureau or the health department. That's the mistake this startup made and that I made by not demanding they follow the five-step undefeated marketing system. They had the right messaging, but their brand's pizza had a big slice missing. Take my advice. You can't skip steps or cut corners and still expect people to buy your brand or be brand loyal. Building a great brand is all about consistency. Every slice needs to speak to your customers' needs and wants and fit perfectly within your overall data-backed strategy. Philip, just a couple other quick questions from this third part, which was um, so enormously helpful. You write that Authentic is an easy word to toss around, but it's not always easy to live up to. What does it mean to be truly authentic? It's empathetic. For me, it's empathy. It's empathy for understanding how other people are and for understanding what you're trying to put out in the world to serve those people. And ultimately, no, you know, the best, listen, uh, the best politicians are the ones that aren't the robots. The best politicians are the ones who you go, oh, I like that guy, or oh, that woman's awesome. Yeah, he's like, not feeding me a load of BS. He doesn't correct. look like a uh, perfectly quaffed uh, right. television And politics, the, the politician is the product, mm-hmm. right? So when, you know, the you know what is the Dollar Shave Club guy? The reason that that went from startup to billion-dollar company is because the guy put out a great... Uh, ad in a warehouse with things blowing up and falling all over, like one of the great ads ever driven. Ever and it built. resonated with a cartridge buyer like me. Yes, but my point is, is yeah, because why? Because you like humor, right? But well, I like humor, like but humor? also it was like, why am I paying a dot? Yeah, more that than much, right. and then I don't even have to go to the store to get it. And the reason, if you, fu- I can't think of the guy's name that started that company. If you, if you watch him, listen to his interviews, he says he found the void in the marketplace, right? That is understanding customer data. <laughs> that is being empathetic. He found the void. This is why we start businesses, because we see a void. That is following these five steps. The first thing you do is you get the feedback on where is the void in the marketplace. He said, man, uh, razors are really expensive. And then, you know, they probably built a, a whole business plan around this, uh, this razor company. And then they decided to build the website and all that, uh, marketing all the things to the Dollar Shave Club. And then I can guarantee you, before they put that wild and crazy warehouse ad out, if you haven't seen it, go Google it. I mean, go YouTube it. I'll but, include it on this episode's website right. page. The yep. reason it was so effective, I guarantee you they tested that out before they launched it out, which is our step four, like the testing phase. Yeah. And then once they launched it out, they knew it was going to work. Well, that one ad built a billion-dollar company. And in a sea of 10,000 ads a day that we're seeing, that's the whole point. That's what we're trying to do is to break through the clutter. And I can guarantee you he followed those steps. So, Philip. I have to ask this. It reminds me of a, a particular client we have and clients I've had over the years. <laughs> what is the one pet peeve 
you have with business owners these days? Yeah, they're afraid to take any chances in their marketing. They want generic stuff, and it's like uh, they're afraid of their marketing shadow. Yes. <laughs> and they're know, not committed, like you were talking about earlier. They're, they're like yeah, kicking it, the tires. They're kind of, eh, let's dabble in this. Let's yeah, dabble let's in that. Facebook ads. Oh, they yeah. didn't work. Okay. Let's well, buy no. some lottery tickets. Yeah. Facebook doesn't work unless you're, you have a scientific formula behind it. I'm not talking about, it could be mine, it could be whatever, but I'm just saying like that uh, this thing is so complicated and so advanced that the people that win understand that they're not running Facebook ads to run Facebook ads. They know precisely what Facebook ad to run, when to run it, who to run it to. But but why do why do companies why are they so fearful? We live in a world right now where everybody is scared to get canceled or to take a chance and actually have an authentic voice out in the marketplace. They're afraid that people would reject them. A lot of entrepreneurs are very afraid of rejection, even though they get rejected all the time. And ultimately, like, uh, let me. Can I give you an example? Please. Uh, one of the things I have plenty I, of audio tape. Uh, great. I will. I will tell you that uh, if I write a third book, it's going to be on comparative advertising. Yes. Um, I've actually coined the term comparatizing. Yes, and um, I want to talk about that. But also, I know a guy with a podcast where he interviews authors of yeah. marketing books. So I'm just yeah. saying I can put you in touch with him. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. Um, the most effective test ads we've run over the last three years, the ones that have clobbered everything else in the testing phase, which are step four. The number one concept is comparative advertising. Not in the way we do it in politics, where we take a baseball bat to someone's head. Not that way. Mm -hmm. That's fine, but that's not what I'm talking about. Um, the way I'm talking about it is, can you draw a comparison to your competitor in a way that doesn't offend anybody, but endears deep loyalty to your product or service to that customer? And... Nine out of ten business owners, when we approach them on this, go, oh no, 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 don't! I kind of want to rot the boat. This is my business. I built this thing. I spent, you know, a thousand, ten thousand hours in it. I don't want to do one ad that could get us in trouble. And I'm like, I, I would do it for you in a way that doesn't get you in trouble. No, 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 no. Right. So yeah. like we did this for a supplement company. And and this, if you're okay with this, I'm going to move into step four. Well, hang on. Let me oh. just quote uh, you. Right, if you want to be number one in your industry, you can't win with a fearful, play it safe marketing strategy amongst the ten thousand competitors you're facing online every day, and that does That's include right. cat videos. Don't spend your marketing dollars to be like everyone else. Find the unique lane that allows you to still connect with your customers. Take a chance and commit to the strategy. Stand for something. <laughs> Serve your target audience. Damn it. And hold to your principles. The money will come. It always comes to the truly smart and authentic brands. Philip, one other question from that section. You, yeah. you Obviously, you've explained how you are platform agnostic. It, <laughs> it's not like you are wedded to anything. You're wedded to data. You write that where you place your ads depends entirely on you know your customers' eyeballs, but you are not agnostic when it comes to the different tools of media. Talk about the importance of video. Well, let's just even start with the B two B world, not even e commerce, where we know video is so important. Mm -hmm. The B two B world, according to HubSpot and Google, that seven in ten B two B buyers watch a video sometime in the buying process. 70%. And I would guess 
that that actually stat was from about a year or a year and a half ago. That's probably more now. So just in the B2B world, seven and 10 are going to watch a video on what you're selling sometime in the buying process. Well, when I, this is back in 2016, uh, we sat down with, uh, in the offices of Google and in the offices of Facebook, and they told us the same thing. They said, what, is, what are your plans for expansion? I said, well, you know, we're going to hire some more account team members and some business development people. And they said, yeah, we're not going to, we're going to tell you not to do that. And I'm like, well, you don't run my business. And they said, nope, what you're going to do is you're going to go out and you're going to create a stronger video production team. And I said, okay, why? And they said, because we are about to optimize all of our platforms uh, to video and you're going to be out of business if you're not using video very soon. And I went, okay. And so I decided to listen and we optimized and built out a huge creative team in my company. And I'll tell you this because at least 75% of the prospects that I talk to come into the door, they don't have a video on their website about their business or about their product or service. Mm-hmm. And when they run ads, and this is goes back to you're scared to death, they won't invest in a video and an ad campaign. They just want banner ads, which I hate banner ads, except in testing, and I, we can talk about that in a second. Yeah, The banner ads don't convert in the way the business owner wants to convert. Mm-hmm. And... It is all about video right now. And I'm sure in three or four years, that may change again. But Well, it's maybe it's like, going to be even more about video. But this isn't emerging. This is done. <laughs> right. This is what it yeah. is. It's where you talk about in the book, uh, you know, if you're at status quo, you're already um, behind. <clears throat> but let's go to step four. Test your data-backed messaging to prove that it will work. But Philip Stutz, I'm confused. Why do you need to test your messaging? if you know it's already supported by research. Okay, so the first example I'm going to give you is the 2016 presidential campaign. Donald Trump's campaign, and I talked to the guy that ran the digital component of their campaign, he would run one Facebook ad 162 ways in the testing phase. One ad, 162 ways. He would run a green background, a red background, a blue background, a man in the, in the, in the ad, a woman in the ad, different fonts, different font sizes, the, the message uh, in the right corner, in the left corner, 162 <laughs> variations of one ad. Inevitably, they would find eight or nine of those ads would explode, blow through the w- roof. And he would tell me, I had no idea why that particular ad worked. Why and that that's interesting. Worked. He said, I don't know why, but I know which ones work. Correct. And he said, now we knew exactly where to invest all of our ad dollars into the eight ads we knew without a, you know without with a very little budget because this is a billion dollar campaign right with a very little budget they were able to identify the most effective ads that they needed to run and this is the same concept on the business side like i just said this i don't like banner ads but i do like banner ads right now in testing because i think if you click through a banner ad that's a good message that, that is a good message because nobody's clicking through banner ads. So that's what I'm trying to determine before the business owner uh, or the marketer goes out and spends a bunch of ad dollars. I'm trying to, if you notice this also, everything I've talked about today is eliminating the risk of the business itself or the business owner or the marketer before they launch their marketing campaign mm-hmm. to narrow down all on the way and optimize every single step. So when you're ready to spend real money, you know you have effective results from the get-go. 
And let me go back to the, the comparison conversation that we talked about. So in the comparison conversation, we ran um, in the testing phase for, for this apparel company, we ran a ton of different ads uh, based on the data of what we thought would work. The number one performing ad among men that we ran in the testing phase was a comparison ad. Now, let me tell you how offensive this ad is. Just get ready, Douglas. You ready? Okay. This was an apparel company. They made high-end sweats and tees. We found in the data that their customers liked high-quality products. They did not like cheap uh, sweats and tees. And so we created- And they were probably willing to pay more for them. Uh, absolutely, they're going to pay more. And so we created a testing campaign on that. And the test was this. Don't buy your clothes from a shoe company. Just don't do it. And you use the word Nike in the ad, right? No, no, no. <laughs> right. Didn't use the word Nike in the ad. So it was endearing, but it drew a very clear comparison that made it easier for the customer. Nothing offensive. The customer sees it, laughs out loud. And says exactly, and then they click on the ad, and it was the highest performing ad we ever ran for them amongst men. Women in the testing phase actually didn't uh, click on that as high as men did, or at a rate higher than men, or, or even in in the same range as the men. They clicked on the five star review ad, a, a, a real five star. We we actually ran an ad with five stars across it. And it was a testimonial that was a real testimonial. And we found in the data before we ran that ad, the reason we tested it was because we found that women buyers of this clothing company wanted social proof before they bought the product. And so we ran a social proof ad called the five-star review ad. That one was the highest performing ad we ever tested for them. So before we went out and ran a big marketing campaign, we knew the two ads that were going to blow through the roof before we even spent their large portion of their marketing budget. I think we had spent maybe 2 to 5% on the testing. So 95 to 98% of their whole budget was yet to be spent. Right, yeah. No, and you, you talk in the book about how testing isn't new, but most marketers aren't doing it right. A lot of them will want to go out and test and spend $100,000 on a test when they can do it for a fraction uh, of that. And I have to mention, uh, not to insert myself into the interview here, <clears throat> Mr. Stutz, but when in, in my youth, I was an artillery officer. And it brought to mind how when a forward observer would call in artillery, you don't immediately start firing with all the guns, all the ammo. You fire one round, <laughs> often referred to as a spotting round, and maybe make one or two adjustments and then you send all that corrected data to all the guns, and the Ford Observer says those three magic words, fire for effect. <laughs> so it was, for me, it was like, oh, this is exactly like that, where you don't send all the ammo down right off the bat. You, you test uh, as, as quickly and inexpensively as possible. So you see how it resonated? These, you're, see how what you write resonates with, with, with everyone differently? Yeah, artillery. That'd be a good name of a marketing agency. Yeah, yeah. It starts with an A, too. So mm. um, let's go to the last one. Launch your data back marketing campaign, okay? Launch. Okay, so that was not the first thing. It was It's the, the fifth. Um, so it's, it's pretty much over at that point, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, money falls from the, from the trees. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, and I actually do a, a chapter in the book called Beyond Step 5. Um, but what you're trying to do is get everything ready for launch so that you've eliminated all your risk and you know what's going to work once you launch. But as you know, uh, you constantly have to optimize, you know, um, that pest control company, uh, that national pest control company we worked with. We were in the fifth month of working with them when they had the best month ever because once we launched, we were able to optimize everything we were seeing in real time so that we could improve their results uh, every single day. And so for us, there, you know, th- this is the, the easiest to explain. It's just you've done all the work now to eliminate all the risk and know what's going to work, and you can launch a marketing campaign. But if you think that's it, if you think it just goes on autopilot, obviously that's not going to happen. Yeah, Everybody, this is not the finish line. This is the starting gun. It's really the starting gun. Right, right. It is. And, and I talk about sort of how we build what's called retargeting pools. Yeah, talk about you- retargeting because that you've got a whole chapter on that. It's, it's, it's enormously important. And not only that, it came up in two other books that were on the show, uh, Ultimate Guide to Google Ads as well as Ultimate Guide to Facebook Ads. And retargeting are uh, at the heart and soul of both of those, uh, those particular things for effectiveness. Uh, when would you not do retargeting? But remind folks what retargeting is and, and how it can help you. Well, so I'm a big fan of doing everything I can to find the easiest sale. And rarely is it the first sale, like we talked about before. And then secondly, um, the first conversion I'm trying to get for a customer, on is, this is really pertains to more B2C side, but the first conversion I'm trying to get is to is to click through and and fall into my retargeting pool. So you want again in Atlanta, ten thousand ads a day. You have a lot of skeptical customers, and those skeptical customers are not going to see your ad and immediately click on it, and buy it. I mean, some will, the vast majority will not. You have to build a relationship with with the with the potential customer, and the way you do that is you constantly are in front of them. And so, if you know you have, let's say, this crazy. Uh, apparel company that has an ad that says, you know, don't buy your shoes from a clothing company, just don't do it. And they go, that's super cool. And they click on the ad. Now it's time to go build that relationship. You have to put your, your, um, you have to put your ads in front of them multiple times and you try to get them in your funnel, right? That's the chance that it's the first step in the funnel and no one is buying in the first step of the funnel. It takes sometimes four or five. I think my frustration is most business owners get think, oh, well, I only need to, to sort of get in front and touch that particular customer with my ads five times or three times. I, I don't have a definition of how many times you should be hitting that potential customer. But I know in politics, sometimes we hit a voter 30 times. <laughs> and I lay out in that particular chapter one of the craziest stories in politics that I've ever been a part of, of how we got credited, my firm was credited for winning the 2018 Florida governor's race because we hit our target, one specific target market 30 different times once they got in the retargeting pool. And we overwhelmed them with our ads and we ended up swaying this entire voter block, which would never have voted for us, to vote for Ron DeSantis. When I say us, I mean Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. And that, uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, um, was the reason he won his election in 2018. It's the same thing here. You've got but to you retargeted them, and it was the right people at the right time 
uh, with the right message. It was about uh, charter schools, I believe. Yeah, charter, or, it was a charter or, school or issue. Vouchers, Correct. yeah, <clears throat> which moved the needle uh, for them. So it's it's uh, you know really important. A couple other quick questions for you that you talk about towards the end of the book, and one of them we touched on, which is the you know the importance of understanding the lifetime value of your customers. Always a good thing for marketers to be asking. Um, what do you mean when you argue that marketing teams, I guess, or marketing agencies should be working themselves out of a job? So, I mean, I, I talk about, as you know, and you're alluding to, I talk about the five steps. That's the majority of the book. But there are so many other factors. I mean, Again, I think you're getting the theme of this. I'm obsessed with the customer or the client, just like I'm, a, I'm more obsessed with the voter than I am the politician. And my point is, if you are constantly serving that customer, let's say they, they buy from you, you should be doing everything you can to market to them because it's cheaper, they'll buy more, it's, it's easier. Like the customers you have right now, the clients you have right now are your greatest resources and you should never lose them. And so my point is, how do you build them to be raving fans of your company? And, you know, you can look at, I, I use the example in the book of Yeti, right? The, the cooler company, which has built an incredibly loyal, lo, uh, uh, crazy raving fan base. People wear hats out in public of a cooler company because they're so loyal to the cooler company. As I sit in front of you right now, I have a Yeti mug in my hand of where I'm sipping coffee while talking to you. Uh, they have built such a loyal fan base that they you know, are a billion-dollar company now. And yes, they still spend money on marketing, but they spend a lot less than you would think because they can do it for free to the people that are loyal to them. And so they constantly try to figure out ways to be innovative in marketing to their current customers, not to new customers. And that's what I ultimately am trying to achieve with anybody uh, I work with on the business side. Yes. So, Philip, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? To run a bunch of marketing tactics of, on Facebook. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> try a little of that, try a little of that. You know, run at the flagpole, see who salutes, you know. I, I would get obsessed with your customer or client wants and needs and what motivates them and try to peel yourself off of well, this is how we've always done it, or this is what everybody else is doing, or the owner of the company likes to talk about these things. It's not that those are necessarily wrong. It's just the wrong place to start from. <laughs> right. The starting point is, what does our customer want in the marketplace or from us? What does that client in that B2B world? I, I got one example on this. It's a great example. We ran this customer insights report for a title company, a B2B title company recently. This B2B title company, they do a billion dollars in sales a year or you know, uh, with real estate agents. Their customer is a B2B customer. It is real estate agents, right? When we ran the customer insights report for them, we didn't find, Douglas, uh, like, okay, you know, we found all the data that we've talked about before, but here's something we found in the data that was mind-blowing to me, and I knew we had to do something with it. 72% of the real estate agents owned dogs. Oh, yes. I remember the story now. Loved it. How in the world would you ever know that unless you understood your customer? Yes. And here's the thing. 
we, when we saw it, we went, we went to the company and they thought we were insane, right? But we said, we're going to start marketing how dog friendly this company is. The dogs, you know, are going to be branded with uh, bio pages. We're going to start running ads with the dogs in them. Dogs can walk around the office because if a real estate agent is saying, you know, me, the home buyer, I don't ever choose my title company. The real estate agent just chooses it for me. And if the real estate agent is going to choose between three title companies, and all of a sudden they have a deeper connection with that title company because they're like, ah, oh, you know what? I love my dog. These guys love dogs uh, over here that I give business to. They get I me. Want, I want to do more business with my dog-friendly friends over at X title company. Mm-hmm. That is the whole point of what we're trying to do. It's not that the real estate agent said, you know what? I go to that company because they have dogs. No, <laughs> it's because it's another factor that gets them to conversion. And it's an emotional connection. The dog is an emotional connection with the client that they are trying to appeal to. And so we've run ads for them with dogs. They, uh, they are the, now the largest title company in this part of Florida. Um, and you would never have thought before we started running an ad campaign that dogs would be the reason why. And if the owner of the business had just said, I'm going to talk about how I'm a great title company, well, <laughs> that wouldn't have worked. Right, right. Oh, that's great. And just so you know, my co-host, Monty the Golden Retriever, he's asleep on the floor behind me. He hasn't made a I haven't heard him talk. No, no. He's, yeah. No, he's running the board. Um, So what's one thing a listener could do today? Just one thing to put in action an idea from your book to kind of get started. Yeah. I I think it goes back to the way we say, what could you do to understand your customer better? Can you, I mean, I would do a brainstorm team uh, brainstorm meeting with your team and say what do we what do we need to know about our customer to make more sales it's the bottom line what do we need to know and what are the things that we could do what are the things that wouldn't cost us any money or are there you know like and i'm not talking about hiring me i'm saying like there are a lot of data companies out there that you can utilize what do they cost does it fit in the budget how important is it to you but you got to devise what it is you're trying to do, right? The reason we created the free data assessment, which we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, is because so many uh, marketers are solo marketers or small businesses. And they're like, I don't have a team and they don't get it. So what do I need to do? How can I have a conversation and understand this with someone else? And that's why we created the free data assessment. Uh, Again, philipstutz.com slash insights. Um, You can go there and uh, we'll help you. That's great. And you know, this reminds me of something from a few years ago that came from a book, and I can't remember which one because there have been hundreds of books and, and a larger number of glasses of wine. And But there was one book where the author was talking about this trick. A marketing book podcast listener did this, and she got promoted. Now, I think she probably got promoted because she's pretty sharp, like most of the good-looking people who listen to this show. But here's what she did. She had this exercise and CEO was there, you know, everybody was there. And they said, okay, everybody get out a piece of paper. And on one side, I want you to write down everything you know about one character from, let's say, your favorite television show. You know, so somebody could write down, you know, so they everybody said, okay, this is fun. So they started writing down, let's say they were watching the American version of The Office and they started writing down Dwight Schrute, you know, a lot of the sales guys like him. And so they had a lot of fun. They wrote it all down. Okay. So they filled up a page with things they knew about these characters that they loved. And she said, okay, everybody turn the page over. Now write down everything you know about our customer. 
<laughs> At that point, they said, oh, crap. Jeez, all right, you win. I, <laughs> we better that start. excellent. We better start paying That's more attention to these people. Story. Figuring out what it is they like, their latent anxieties and desires, and all the things that are already being tattooed on my back. I don't know if you can hear the tattoo artist uh, putting them on there. So uh, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? Uh, yeah, there's um, uh, the one I just wrote to my subscriber list um, about this book. I recommended it. Um, it's to the guy who wrote the forward to my book, actually. It's James Altucher's new book called Skip the Line. <clears throat> and his argument is the 10,000-hour rule is actually not a viable use of entering into different marketplaces that you have never been in before. And he walks through how he's done this, how he's skipped the line to become a, a chess master, to be a stand-up comedian, to be a hedge fund manager, um, and to be an investor. Um, and he's done this to create 20 different businesses. And I'm sort of fascinated by that uh, because I feel like for my own story, I've skipped the line and jumped into corporate marketing when I didn't get it. You know, I didn't start corporate marketing until I was 40. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm 47 now. And so uh, I've been obsessed with it. It's a great book. It is not a um, a uh, motivational book. It is a how-to book. If you're trying to enter into new markets and you've never gone in them before, uh, this is a how-to guidebook on how to skip the line of all your competitors and jump to the front of the line. And I, it's just a fascinating book for me. Oh, wow. That sounds great. And I didn't know about that. And it's Maybe because I didn't read uh, what you put out this morning. Skip the line. The 10,000 experiments rule and other surprising advice for reaching your goals. Excellent. What was the other one? So I had another one, and this is a health book. Uh, uh, it's a Dr. Stephen Gundry. He's written four New York Times bestsellers on a diet called The Plant Paradox. He's got a new book out called The Energy Paradox. And it's about how to, get, how to figure out how to have more energy in your day um, and, uh, I've been on Dr. Gundry's diet for the last four years. It's changed my life. And I was so obsessed with it that I stalked him, uh, as I want to do. And he is now my doctor and, uh, he has a new book out. And so, uh, uh he is Tony Robbins, doctor, uh, if that resonates with anybody out there yeah. uh, and a bunch of other people. Um, uh, he's been on a million different, uh, huge, big podcasts. Again, he's written four New York Times bestsellers, um, and it's a great, great book on how to get more energy out of your day. The Energy Paradox, what to do when your get-up-and-go has got up and gone. Man, uh, I You probably gonna... love that subtitle, don't you? Yeah, I'm going to have to buy this. Great. Now you've added to my reading list, Mr. <laughs> Stutz. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to everything linkable and all your sites and the books you've mentioned uh, and your LinkedIn profile, and I... Uh, I hope that listeners, if you found something uh, helpful or innovative, please reach out to Philip. Take advantage of this offer uh, that he's uh, provided and and thank him for being on the the podcast. One other thing I want to mention, you have a podcast of your own that you're kicking off, uh, the Undefeated Marketing Podcast. Tell us about that. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, we kicked it off on April the 6th. Okay, I just um, lost a it, bunch of listeners now. What? No, I'm oh, kidding. Uh, huh? What? <laughs> Uh, and uh, we basically, it's an extension. If you're kind of uh, curious on 
diving even deeper into the undefeated marketing system and each of these steps that we walk through um, today, we're going to get really granular on them. So it's probably going to be a very niche podcast, but it's um, for people to help them understand how to implement these things if they can't afford to do it with a marketing agency. And so it's an extension of the book, but a way that serves an audience is super intrigued by um, by trying to implement it either on their own or with their own marketing company they work with. And um, uh, very soon, uh, Douglas Burdett will be a guest on this podcast, and we will break down one of those steps. Yes. That'll be in the scraping the barrel uh, segment of your podcast. Low-hanging fruit. Yes, that's right. right, That's right. So, And for you, listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. Final quote. I'm sure you're thinking implementing these five steps isn't as easy as Philip is making them out to be. I'll tell you in advance, you're right. The undefeated marketing system takes a lot of work. It's a big challenge that will sometimes go against your brain wiring, which always seeks the fast and easy route. Following the formula takes commitment, not interest. You have to see the process through, but your business is worth it. It represents who you are. It represents your financial security, creating a better life for your family and your ultimate legacy. So why would you cut corners when it comes to your marketing? For those of you who are willing to commit and accept the challenge, it will pay off. You will have more success in your business, and you will beat the shit out of your competition. And before long, you'll be undefeated. The book is The Undefeated Marketing System, How to Grow Your Business and Build Your Audience Using the Secret Formula that Elects Presidents. The author is Philip Stutz. Phillips, thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast. Ah, Love being here. Thank you, buddy. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you found it helpful. Special thanks to this episode's sponsor, the new Ahrefs Webmaster Tools, which monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings for free. It's a very advanced free SEO tool that will scan your site and prioritize precisely what you need to fix to improve your search results. And it's so easy to use, why, even a podcast host can use it. Check it out at hrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. You can also find a link to it at this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com along with a video that shows you how it works. And remember the words of the late, great Jim Rohn who said, formal education will make you a living, self-education will make you a fortune. 